0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've always been fascinated by the human voice, which experts say is as unique to each person as their fingerprint. In these podcasts, we celebrate the human voice in all its wonderfully diverse forms, young and old, different accents and cultural contexts. Writers sometimes struggle to find their own voice but you can kind of tell when someone is speaking from a place of authenticity and integrity. That's when I most love listening to voices. Thank you for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund.
1: There is a certain um, peace that comes when you fast. It seems like a strange thing to say, but there is. And I I have heard that from, from many people.
0: The powerful practice of abstaining from food to cultivate spiritual awareness and compassion for the hungry. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. I've always felt the word fasting is somewhat ironic because people who follow the spiritual discipline often find that it slows things down which may be the point our consumption of food is such a primal drive that when our regular eating pattern is altered even temporarily it can set deep changes in motion if a person holds off eating intentionally not as a diet but as a personal discipline It can briefly suspend our normal autopilot thinking and deepen our self-reflection. Author Carol Garibaldi Rogers found this practice in many traditions.
1: What I looked at first, and I think probably has the most to contribute to the conversation of the three monotheistic religions, um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and but it is also in Native American spirituality, in Buddhism, um, in Hinduism, and all of those. You know, I did find um, kinds of interesting echoes. It's also in the secular tradition, where there's also a a very strong tradition of fasting for political purposes and for social consciousness, and um, that also contributes a lot, can contribute a lot to our understanding.
0: Carol Rogers' book, Fasting, Exploring a Great Spiritual Practice, traces the history of this discipline as observed across traditions, including Yom Kippur, Lent, and Ramadan.
1: It's considered an essential part of the spiritual life. That has been part of the Jewish tradition um, all through their the, the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, and up through the teaching of the rabbis. Um, in Christianity, it is also considered in the in the Christian Scriptures. Where Jesus gives a statement in the Gospel of Matthew where the three, um, alms giving, prayer, and fasting are all equal. They're given the same amount of weight. They're given the same amount of verses. That, that the parallel. Uh, construction makes it easy to remember. You can tell it was done so people who didn't read could remember. But it was a very important part of a total spiritual development. In Islam, it's one of the five pillars. So it is just an essential part of the spiritual life. I mean, it was seen as, as a way to um, cut through the clutter, to reach silence, uh, to enforce your own self-discipline. All of those things were, were part, and they were perceived universally um, as essential, as essential as prayer and almsgiving. So how
0: would you describe the experience of someone who sets out to practice fasting. Many people experience a clearer mental state, even greater energy, which may come as a surprise, even from a short-term fast. And uh, it may also help the functioning of our digestive system uh, to sort of give the machine a rest. What are the physical effects of fasting?
1: Duration makes a difference, how long you're fasting for. Um, so if we take, for instance, the Yom Kippur fast, which is in Jewish tradition, the High Holy Days, um, the Day of Atonement, you start fasting at sunset the night before. As as with all Jewish traditions, it starts at sunset, and, it, and the fast lasts until the following day at sunset. Physically, what I think people would say who've done that kind of fasting is you experience, um, you do experience hunger, you do experience thirst, um, but you also experience a clarity of mind. For observant Jews, they will spend much of that time um, in the synagogue. So there's a clarity to their prayer, and there's a clarity um, to their thinking, and to the spiritual experience. Um, Physically, for that short a period of time, I don't think you necessarily have any great physical um, changes to your body. If you're talking about a longer fast, you would see some, some different changes. Muslims who, who follow Ramadan fasting will also talk about the same kind of experience. You know, they allow nothing to pass their lips from uh, dawn until dusk, and that's even, uh, in the summertime, that's a very, very rigorous fast if you can't have any kind of liquid. Uh,
0: and particularly so because it's the repetition day after day after day right. for the entire lunar month. Allah...
1: What's interesting about the Ramadan fast is that it ends in a feast. Every night you break your fast and and the Prophet was very clear about, he preferred and suggested that people eat before it starts, there's a meal in the morning which you are encouraged. And you must break your fast at a a feast in the evening after dusk. And it's usually with other people. So there's a great community part of the the Ramadan fasting, as there is in in the Yom Kippur fasting also. Um,
0: There's... Definitely a feast uh, at sunset uh, on Yom Kippur.
1: That's sure, and and usually it can be either with family and friends at home at a home or, or in a synagogue. So yes, I mean I think that fasting with other people um, mitigates probably some of the private distress you might be feeling of thirst or or headache uh, or fatigue, um, but it also I think enhances the deep the deep um, spiritual uh, aspect of the experience.
0: There are medical considerations for this practice. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, found that some forms of fasting decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes and can improve cognitive function. But all the traditions are emphatic that fasting, which can certainly be arduous, is not intended to harm the practitioner. People who fast should avoid dangerous levels of dehydration. Young children, diabetics, pregnant women, and anyone who is sick should not fast. Yet for those who are able, fasting may offer hidden rewards. And there's also the fact that in a tradition as broad uh, as Judaism, in a tradition as broad as Islam, there are uh, likely to be millions of other people simultaneously participating in the fast. And maybe there's some power in so many people both practicing the same thing at the same time and also kind of tapping into spiritual awareness.
1: I think there's absolutely something to that, um, David. And um, I've, I've interviewed some people, talked to one woman, a friend actually, who has been in parts of um, the Middle East and, and Egypt, particularly where she's from, during Ramadan. And the streets are empty, you know, at at times when, when everybody's breaking their fast together, the streets are empty. And, you know, by the same token, people are grouchy, and the whole country is <laughs> grouchy. But there is, as you said, a spiritual energy, I think, that um, because there are so many hundreds of millions of people doing, experiencing what you're experiencing, um, there's there's great communion in that.
0: Occasional fasting has long been a dimension of my own spiritual journey. I've returned to it over the years because for me, fasting is in fact a great source of nourishment on a soul level. It allows us to put the brakes on instant gratification rather than acting and consuming mindlessly. Those pangs of hunger and thirst help me remember what it's like for people who are malnourished, a population of about 800 million people, according to the UN. And this practice is not just abstaining from food, it's also trying to remain truly conscious during the fast, even when lack of food depletes energy. Somehow you're less inclined to waste time on things that drain us, like displays of anger and ego that never quite satisfy. And there's nothing like the lack of something to enhance our appreciation of it. When you break your fast, you're very grateful for the food we're blessed with.
1: I think there's a couple of different things going on. Joan Chittister, who's a Benedictine nun, talks about Lenten fast as as sort of scraping the sludge off the soul And I think that's a kind of good image for what happens. I mean, you really, um, it's true you learn more patience because you don't give in to to the hot dog or the, you know, the salad or whatever it is that you see. Um, And and food is all around us, so it becomes a very, very present awareness all the time when you're fasting. Um, But what I think happens is you, you come to more of an understanding of your limitations. And you get to know yourself a little bit more. Um, on a very almost trivial level, you have more time. You know, you're not thinking about where am I going to stop for my next, you know, quick meal, or where am I going to cook for dinner tonight, or I have to go shopping, I don't have enough food home for a meal, and you don't have to clean up after dinner. So, you know, there are some some very trivial things that people have talked about, but in a very real sense that provides you with a change in focus from the trivial to the deeper and you have time to sit with yourself and whatever your spiritual tradition is to go deeper. And that. Time to
0: sit with yourself.
1: Instead of going to the grocery store or instead of thinking about, you know, how do I make a way so I can get to the closest donut store or whatever on my way home because I'm really hungry and tired and I need a quick pick me up. The pick me up has to come elsewhere. Um, and so you're thrown back more on yourself.
0: And when you say the pick-me-up has to come from elsewhere, where does it come from?
1: It really has to come from, from within yourself, from a sense of touching into, if you want to say a higher presence, if that's your language, or a, a deeper presence within yourself. There is a certain um, peace that comes when you fast, um, it seems like a strange thing to say, but there is. And I, th- I have heard that from, from many people.
0: To tap into a peace that somehow becomes available when you stop the worldly practice of feeding mm-hmm. oneself for a limited period. We're, right. not, we're not talking about round-the-clock you know, abstaining from food for days and days. We're talking about limited spiritual practice structured in a way that will not harm you. And yet, somehow, the absence of feeding our face opens the door to a dimension of peace. What do you think is happening there?
1: I think you are able to change your focus. Um, You are able to overlook the present and look into a wider wider present, a wider future. You... um, you become much more intensely aware of what surrounds you, whether it is nature or um, it's your life itself, it's the people around you. And it gives you the time to, as I said before, just to go within and and have a, a, a much deeper conversation with yourself.
0: Considering the Benefits and Mysteries of Fasting, which is practiced in many traditions as a spiritual discipline. My guest is Carol Garibaldi Rogers, author of Fasting, Exploring a Great Spiritual Practice. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more and to obtain an audio download or CD copy of this segment, The Silent Power of Fasting, please visit humanmedia.org. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, 20th century theologian Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel once said that fasting can grant a moment of insight mm-hmm. to someone practicing it. What, what is the, that moment of insight?
1: For me, it was a sense, an awareness of the presence, um, I would use the term, God. Um, other people would use different terms, but it is uh, an awakening, and awareness at a very deep level um, that there is more than you in the world, that you are not all there is, and that fasting somehow clears the decks in order to appreciate that. Um, Heschel talks about sacred moments, that you don't really need to accumulate a whole lot of knowledge, you just need to experience sacred moments. And the
0: experience of a sacred moment is probably um, becoming available to it, that we have to be receptive to this potential manifesting, and then it can sort of flow through. It's not that it's being arbitrarily withheld from us, it's more that we are blocking ourselves from receiving it, and if we can practice some disciplines that open that up this just kind of flows in naturally
1: i think that's exactly what happens i think what i'm trying to say is that fasting is one way of putting yourself in an opening position where you can accept what's there you don't create it It, you just are able to accept it and to access it it's a little bit like a centering prayer discipline or some of the other disciplines, which also just puts you in a silent mode um, and out of the, coming out of the prayer discipline where you make yourself available to just be. And, and I think that's what fasting is. It's another way what fasting does.
0: And people really describe that experience in many different traditions. It doesn't seem to be specific to a particular religion.
1: No, it isn't. And in fact, it's very much absent from a Catholic tradition, for instance. I mean, we don't have that tradition of going without food for any particular period of time, unless you create that kind of experience for yourself. Uh, Even now, the Catholic tradition is um, a day of fast and abstain on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, but that still doesn't mean to go without food. It means one full meal a day and perhaps two lighter meals, depending on on what your practice is.
0: Is there not some fasting among Catholics?
1: Yes, but not in the, in the sense that we're using it. So if we're talking about the Yom Kippur fast, which is no food or drink for 24 hours, say, or 25, um, there is nothing like that in the Catholic tradition. You can do it, certainly, and Catholics do. There are many Catholics who do. Um, they fast for a, an, an increasing awareness uh, for social action. Um, there 's a Jesuit p- priest who um, is actually quite funny about his experiences of starting to fast, but he had often would fast in solidarity with the poor and as part of a peace you know um, pacifist groups he belonged to uh, for for greater awareness and so his was more public in the sense that it wasn 't just his own private spirituality; it was a public fast to draw attention to uh, either peace during the Iraq War or uh, just poverty and um, hunger around the world.
0: The Reverend Martin Luther King practiced fasting as both a form of self-purification and a political statement. Others following that tradition were Caesar Chavez, the voice of farm workers, Dorothy Day of the Catholic Worker Movement, the anti-war priests Daniel and Philip Berrigan, And perhaps most famously, Mohandas Gandhi, who led India to independence from colonial rule. This is from the 1982 Academy Award-winning film, Gandhi.
1: These last days, people's minds have begun to turn to this bed and away from the atrocities. But now, it is enough. All that has happened is that I've grown a little thinner.
0: Don't worry for me. I cannot watch the destruction of all that I've lived for. Why is simply choosing not to eat seen as so symbolically powerful?
1: I think because it's a way of expressing power uh, among the powerless. Um, It's a way of of putting yourself in... um, in sympathy with or uh, compatibility with people who have no power, whether they be uh, mine workers or they be you know, poor or whether they be people who, um, uh, suffering from violence of war. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons that symbol resonates with people, um, because it, it, it should do no violence to anyone. There's a difference between the um, starvation diets, the political starvation diets. Uh, which do and can do violence to everybody and and are intended to really they 're intended to hold the society hostage you know um, that is not the case for many of the of what Gandhi did or any of the others they 're not um, they 're not violent
0: so we live in this society of kind of relentless consumption
1: get a large hot and ready pepperoni pizza for five bucks or come in and try our new deep deep dish pizza for just eight bucks it has more cheese more pepperoni and eight crispy caramelized cheese crust corner slices in every box it's instant
0: gratification something's advertised you've run out you get it immediate impulse fasting is a completely different approach than that
1: it's very countercultural, isn't it? I mean, it really goes against the environment that we live in. Um, there are people who see fasting from food as not particularly appropriate for them, but they find it essential to find another way to fast just simply to pull back from this environment of consumerism. So it could be fasting from technology or email or you know take that kind of, or it could be fasting from some kind of shopping or compulsion that they see in themselves that they they want to step back from uh, in that case, it's not necessarily it can be but it's not necessarily for a spiritual moment as to use Heschel's term, but it's it's much more a matter of of stepping back and getting perspective and a sense of um, self-control that, that you feel you need to distance yourself um, from, this, from the environment.
0: In the quiet moments of fasting, people who choose this practice sometimes turn their thoughts to the hundreds of millions who go without food involuntarily. World hunger can be abstract, but it's much easier to identify with the problem when your energy is low and your stomach is empty. When all other options are exhausted... People here in Lankian, South Sudan, strip leaves from the trees as their last resort for food. Poor harvests, conflict, and constraints on trade have pushed this area into what humanitarian agencies have classified as
1: a level three food crisis.
0: Does the practice of fasting sensitize a person to the problem of world hunger, uh, the condition when some people experience going hungry without choosing to fast? Uh, in some traditions, giving up eating for a brief period is accompanied by giving charity to the poor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you see the connections there? I
1: think there is very much of a connection, David. Um, I think if you experience hunger, physical hunger, you cannot help but be sensitized to what somebody else might be experiencing on a year-round. You know, you do it for a day or two days or whatever you choose, and you then can choose to eat. And, you know, I found the day after fasting, for instance, for me, was very much of an awareness of the fact that I could choose to eat, I could choose the banana, I could choose whatever I wanted. Um, But it did not go away that there were other people in the world. That awareness did not leave me. Um, And I think that that's that's a good thing. I mean, I think that's a very good benefit for, um, for a fast. And the desert mothers and fathers explaining the Christian tradition... Um, have wonderful stories, you know. And there's one where um, a young monk goes to the senior monk and asks for a word of advice. He's asked, "Who is the better monk, the one who sits in his cell and fasts, and the one who goes out and eats what he wants at meals, but also takes care of the of the sick?" And the older monk says that you know, if the man, if the monk in his cell, were hung by his nose, he could nowhere ever be as good. Uh, and have as much reward as the one who was out taking care of the sick and the poor.
0: You cited a quote in your book that fasting Is an invitation to still the noise and listen to the self. Can you explain that?
1: Yes, because I I guess I very much uh, believe that, and I think it's a little bit about uh, finding the space in your day, um, the space in your life um, to step back, and and the fasting is almost symbolic of stepping back. You know, you step back from food, but you're also you, you somehow within yourself need to. Um, to find a quiet space, and as we've said, finding that in our current, you know, twenty-four-seven world is almost impossible. But
0: but not totally impossible.
1: not totally exactly almost impossible, but not totally. You're right, and 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 taking the twenty-four hours or the twenty-five or thirty-six, whatever you choose to fast, gives you the impetus and the permission almost to concentrate that time in some other Uh, on some other realm if you will.
0: I think that's the traditional purpose of spiritual disciplines to create a space where we can practice something that kind of recenters us and gets us back to where we can live most healthfully.
1: I think that's true and I think they're also what you said they're, they're disciplines you know they are practices and It doesn't necessarily become easier the more you do it, but it's almost essential to do it in order to get to have the experience. You know, the practice leads to the experience.
0: And I've always marveled at the phrase, a practice. It's uh, something you have to kind of keep trying to do and get better at. Nobody perhaps ever perfects it.
1: No, and some days are good days, and some days are bad days, <laughs> and some years are the time for fasting. There's one of the my friends, a, a Jewish woman, for many years couldn't f- do the Yom Kippur fast because she had hypoglycemia, and then she found she could, and then there were other years for a different reason that she couldn't, and and you have to take the long view in that sense and just get back at it. It is a practice, you know, it comes and goes sometimes.
0: Comes and goes, uh, and it was a pleasure. To meet you, we're talking with Carol Garibaldi Rogers. She's author of Fasting, Exploring a Great Spiritual Practice, as well as Habits of Change and Hidden Lives. Listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Alan Mattis. Editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, and Bond Collard. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Central Synagogue in New York City and to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Short Media.
1: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This
0: segment, The Silent Power of Fasting, is Humankind Program number 226.
1: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio.